the second Sunday of Easter season. And um, interestingly, as we celebrate the resurrection this week, we get to see in these disciples, and and particularly in one disciple, um, we get to see a response to the resurrection that I think we all have. We've either had it in the past, or we will have it at some point, and some of us might be having it right now. Skepticism. The very first week after we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, we see disciples who are skeptical. Now, it's interesting, this is not simply a story of doubt. Um, This is often referred to as a passage about doubting Thomas, but it's, it's greater than that. It's not simply doubt, and it's not simply uncertainty, but this is a full-blown skepticism that a man named Jesus was actually raised from the dead. Now, to be sure, a healthy dose of skepticism is not necessarily a bad thing, especially in today's world. Frankly, I'm skeptical that a prince in Nigeria wants to give me millions of dollars if I were to only forward him my bank account number. I'm skeptical that those people calling about a free cruise actually have a free cruise to give me. And so a healthy dose of skepticism is not necessarily a bad thing. And so we see this morning a skeptical disciple. Thomas is skeptical that Jesus is really alive. I hope you have your Bibles with you or a Bible app on your phone, or I think we'll get it up on the screen, but but maybe you could open that to John chapter 20, and we're going to begin, or we'll be in verse 24 to, I don't know, 29. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29, and we're going to take a look at skeptical Thomas. He doesn't believe that a man was raised from the dead. Now, just a quick aside. Sometimes you'll hear people, and especially this time of year, um, talking about the resurrection um, doubtfully. And when they talk about all these witnesses that claim to have, have known about the resurrected Jesus, oftentimes people will look back and look down on those folks and say, look, they said that. They're not liars. They just believed back then that that sort of thing could happen. But now we know that it cannot It's kind of a chronological snobbery that somehow believes that our time and our age has infinitely greater knowledge and wisdom than those pre-modern people back then. Clearly, that's not true. Clearly, nobody thought men could be raised from the dead or women could be raised from the dead. We have Thomas. He says, I'm not going to believe this nonsense. This wasn't something that people believed or thought happened. This is a miracle. And the, thought, the fact that, that someone would say Jesus was raised from the dead was looked on by skeptic, skeptic, skeptically and doubtfully by many. And so Thomas is skeptical. Jesus has made a few appearances at this point. Um, you'll remember on the day of the resurrection, so a week before this story, uh, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, Right? And she goes there before the sun comes up, and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. And so she goes back, and she gets Peter, and she gets John. No, yeah, John. She gets Peter and John, and they they run to the tomb, and they see that the stone's rolled away, and they see that the grave is empty. 
and that the clothes, the linens, have been left lying there. We don't get any insight as to what Peter thinks about this, but, but John, he believes. John believes, and yet they both they go back home. Now that same day, Mary is back, and she sticks around. And she's in the garden, and she's crying and wondering what all this could mean. And, and she sees the gardener, right? She says, what have you done? What have you done with my Lord? And the gardener looks at her and says, Mary. And she sees him for who he is. She sees him as Jesus, and she worships him. And so then later that day, the disciples are all gathered in the upper room. The doors are locked. They're afraid. And yet Jesus appears to them. And he says, peace be with you. And they, they see him. And Jesus commissions them. And he, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they see and believe. All, all except for one, right? Thomas was not with them. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Now it's interesting, before looking at what Thomas says, to consider um, how he's presented here in John's gospel. Uh, Thomas speaks up three times in John's gospel, and and the first two times revealed to us somebody who... um, was not a particularly optimistic man, um, a realist, perhaps a, a pessimist, if you will. Um, in one instance, Jesus is going, wants to go to Bethany. Lazarus has died. Um, Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Let us go to, to Bethany that we may awaken him. And the disciples look at Jesus and say, you can't go back there. You can't go back to Judea. Do you remember what happened last time you were there? They wanted to pick up stones and stone you to death. You can't go back. But Jesus says, no, we must go. And he heads out on the way. And Thomas looks at the disciples and he says, okay, let us go with him that we might die with him. Let us go too that we too might die with Jesus. He's a realist. He has no illusion that that's going to have a happy ending venturing back into enemy territory. Or a little bit later on, um, in, when they're in the upper room together, gathered for their last meal, Jesus is, is teaching in very eloquent and metaphorical language. And he says, um, I must go to prepare a place for you. Um, and you know the way to where I am going. You know how to get there. And Thomas says, No, we don't. You haven't told us where you're going. How could we possibly get there? And Jesus responds with, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And so Jesus is talking up here and Thomas is like, well, give me the the Google Maps. He's a very real disciple. He's a realist. And so the other 11 or the, the 10 other ones come to him and they say, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas gets this report there in in verse 24, 25, and he says this. Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. 
This isn't doubt. This is disbelief. Thomas is saying, look, seeing Jesus, you guys saw him, seeing Jesus is not enough for me. It's not enough. I want to feel him. I want to put my fingers in the holes of the nails. I want to put my hand in his side. And if I cannot do those things, I will never believe what you are telling me. I will never believe. This isn't doubting. This is full-on skepticism. Now, as we mentioned earlier, a healthy skepticism is not always a bad thing. Uh, If we um, go through life with a certain naivete and gullibility, while um, charming at times, it can also be to our downfall. However, skepticism has the ability, friends, to put in deep, deep roots. Not only are we skeptical, but we can become rigid like Thomas And we might claim with our minds, we might say, well, if I just had the the right evidence or the right proof, I could believe. But in reality, for many, many folks, no amount of evidence and no amount of proof will be enough. It's not enough. Why is that? Well, I think for too many of us, we, we mask our skepticism in intellectual objections, okay, thinking things. Um, the, you know, this just doesn't quite make sense. It's not rational. I can't figure it out in my brain. And so we're presenting that this is an intellectual problem when actually, in reality, this is an emotional problem. It's a heart problem. It's not that you can't believe in your head. It's that there's something in our hearts that won't let us. It could be lots of things, but I think for most of us, it's probably you're just simply afraid to believe. You're afraid. Because if you believe, what happens if you're wrong? Are you just another fool? You're afraid that you'll be duped and made to look silly when all this just simply isn't true? Can't you see that with Thomas? He's probably thinking, I gave that man three years of my life. And now it's only been thrown away on a Roman cross. No, I'm not falling for that again. I will never believe. I will never believe. So eight days later, verse 26, Jesus' disciples were inside again. And this time Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. What remarkable grace. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas. Jesus doesn't give up on Thomas, but he gives him exactly what he needs to believe. Look at my hands, Thomas. Look at my side. Put your fingers here and your hand here. Do not disbelieve, but believe. When Thomas falls on his knees, there's no account of him sticking his finger in the holes or his hand in the side. Actually seeing Jesus was enough. 
And he falls on his knees. And he says, my Lord and my God. Friends, Thomas has just gone from being the most disbelieving disciple that we have on record to the most faithful confession of who Jesus is by any character in John's gospel. My Lord and my God. Not only is Jesus their rabbi, not only is is Jesus even the Messiah, but, but Jesus is God himself. Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. We see this skeptical, unbelieving disciple When he meets Jesus in his doubts, when he meets Jesus in his disbelief, he confesses him to be who he is, Lord and God. And so then some of our last verses we read um, are a bit of a challenge from Jesus to us. They would have been challenging to the first hearers of John's gospel, and they're still challenging to us today. He says this to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Friends, that's us. Those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so, so Jesus is asking something of us. This is a bit of a, a challenge. We, we're called to let go of our I'll believe it when I see it attitudes and actually have a faith without sight. Now to be clear, this isn't a faith without evidence. Um, But this is a faith without the evidence that we so often want. Jesus is giving us a different kind of evidence, and he's asking us to believe it and to have faith. And so I think the question that we need to answer this morning is this. What do we do if we want to believe and yet have doubts? What do we do if we want to believe and yet are full of doubt and skepticism? I want to leave you with three things that hopefully you can take home with you. Um, For those who are doubting and skeptical, um, or those who will be because you will, um, three things. First one is this. Do not be afraid to express your doubts. Give them words. Say them out loud. Say them to God. Say them to your friends. Do not be afraid to express your doubts. Skepticism has a way of um, taking over when we allow it to be isolated. Satan loves to whisper in our lonely ears lies and untruths, and we begin to believe them. And, And certainly, when we're doubting, Satan would love nothing more than that to well up within us. Get it out. Get it out. And friends, if you have a if you have someone expressing doubt to you, just listen. Just listen. Don't belittle them. Don't bemean their feelings. Just listen and welcome them and love them. Express your doubts. Second thing, if you're doubting, be surrounded with your community. Be surrounded with your community. Isn't it fascinating that Thomas sees the disciples on the day of Jesus' resurrection, or maybe the next day, and they say, "Um, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he says, well, I'm never going to believe that, but thanks for sharing. And even then... Eight days later, they're still together, right? They're in the upper room together. They haven't ostracized Thomas. He hadn't isolated himself from then. They're, they're in community. They are together. 
And so stay in community with people who are believers. If you want to believe, don't leave the faithful company of your friends. And at the same time, let us welcome into our midst those who are doubting. What if this was a church where people could come and sit in a pew and doubt and doubt and doubt and doubt and still be welcomed and loved anyway? We don't need to argue them into the faith. We simply need to welcome them. Surround yourself with community. And then finally, focus. Focus on the promise. Focus on the main thing. Too often, I think, we get distracted with doubts about probably things that are secondary. Um, Not that they're not true, and not that it's not important to believe them, but, but they're not the main thing. So Jesus did many miracles that we have a hard time understanding. Water into wine, I don't know how that works, right? But Jesus turning water into wine is not the main thing. The main thing is is the promise. The main thing is the character of God and who he is and that he's a loving God and a, a merciful God and a God who welcomes sinners and a God who would die on the cross. That's the main thing. And as you rest in the main thing, the other things will, will come alive and they'll come around, but, but the main thing is that God loves you. That this actually isn't about your faith at all. It's about God's faithfulness to us. Tim, um, Tim Keller has a great illustration when he was talking about the Exodus. Um, you remember the Exodus, and so they're pinned, right, between um, the Red Sea on one side, the Israelites had the Red Sea on one side, and, and Pharaoh and his army chasing him down on the other. And they think, have you brought us out here to die? And Moses says, have faith in God. And, and sure enough, they have faith in God. And, and God parts the waters of the Red Sea. I mean, it's an amazing thing. He parts the waters of the Red Sea. There's 50-foot high walls of water on either side and, and dry, probably muddy land in the middle. And, and they walk across the middle. Okay? And now there's one Israelite. Okay? He walks across like this. Man, my God, he is so awesome. This is amazing. And there's another Israelite, and he walks across like this. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> Which one of them is saved from Egypt? They both are. They both are. Because the main thing is that God saves sinners, and God died for you. Start there. And believe that, and the rest will come around. Friends, if you haven't ever doubted your faith, you will. You will. Be ready for it. And and I pray that, that when you do, that you would turn back to Thomas. And remember Thomas, this doubting, skeptical, disbelieving disciple. And pray that Jesus would meet you right where you are and exactly where you need to see him. And be open to that. And have faith that God will move you from this disbelief to a new and profound belief. And that his blood and his mercy is enough for our faith. Because his faithfulness is infinitely greater than ours could ever be. Let us pray.